All right, everybody, welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Today, we're going to start our series on games of 1981. Oh, man, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it today, man. I, I feel like I'm coming down with uh, Pac-Man fever. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That was my dad joke of the day. Pac-Man fever. <laughs> You don't even have to put a quarter in to get this kind of content today. This is podcasts are free. Unless you want to be a Patreon, go to our Patreon page, help support the show. We would love to have you as a Patreon. For less than a week's worth of 1983 money going to the arcade, you can be an executive producer of one of our episodes. That would be fantastic. Did you, when you were a kid, did your mom like give you a dollar and you went to the video arcade and just hung out there? I begged for money all of the time. Like it was, it, it became kind of a routine that I would come home. <laughs> I'd be like, are we going to the mall today? Yes, we're going to the mall today. Can I have a dollar for the arcade? <laughs> and I could, sp she would go shopping and I could spend two hours on a dollar. Not that I was playing that long, but I would just, you know, you watch other people play. It was fantastic. Absolutely. Video game arcades is one of my deep loving memories from the early 80s. Uh, we're going to get into it, but there are video arcades that I have fond memories of. Okay. There are restaurants that had arcade games that I can remember growing yep. up eating at and like gas stations. There's a, a, oh, yeah. a convenience store by my house that had a couple of games that I played at. My church had three video games in the pool room next to the Family Life Center, the gym. Nice. Oh. I did not have that. But Central Mall in Arkansas, we had Fun City was the name of the arcade. Fun City. Fun City. It eventually moved over by the hospital. But in the other mall, Phoenix Village Mall, we had Aladdin's Castle, which I think had to be in every town in the world yes in the early 80s yes and that those were my early 80s video game places and then later on i was like you i was going to the, i would drive eight miles on my bicycle to a convenience store that had super mario brothers to play that game in the mid 80s nice and then in the 90s i would play the player against player fighter games i played the capcom street fighter versus marvel i would play that at the putt putt place in fort smith showbiz pizza oh yeah in tulsa oklahoma yeah it was the most amazing place in the world because they had pizza skee-ball pinball and video games Along with those creepy stand-up robots. Animatronics that would scare the yes. crap out of you. Yes. <laughs> but every, it was like a labyrinth. You would go into another room and you'd find more games. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't know they had this game back here. So we're here at the beginning of a series on video games. But these are video games that all came out the same year, 1981. Yes. It, it is the year that we've already described as potentially having the best two-week period uh, for or movies of any two-week period in history, but it also had all of these amazing arcade games released the same year. Yeah, the, people refer to this as the golden age of video games. Yeah, and this, if there's a pinnacle year of the golden age of video games, it's 1981. I think so. I think so. Yeah. So, how did we get there? It is an interesting story of how we got to stand-up cabinet arcade games. So our story begins with the development of the atomic bomb. Okay. So with the development of the atomic bomb, they have this thing called the oscilloscope. 
which I tried to learn about before we had this podcast. And all I can say is, it is too hard for me to understand what an oscilloscope <laughs> is. It's got lots of uses, and one of those uses happened to be in the creation of the atomic bomb. And one of the guys who was a nuclear physicist who worked on the first atomic bomb invented the first video game on the oscilloscope in 1958. Wow. So it was called Tennis for Two, and it looked, you, we know what Pong is, right? Everybody knows what Pong is, but this was much more like you're looking from the perspective of a spectator at a tennis match where you see the ball going over the net and back over the net, and all of this took place on this oscilloscope. So that was 1958. The year before that, the Soviets had sent the first man into space. Right. The year after that, JFK says, we're going to have a man on the moon within the next decade. Yep. So everything at that point was all about space. So the second video that came along was a space game that was invented by a guy named Steve Russell called Space War. And I say it Space War because it was like all one word. It had an exclamation point at the end. It's almost, <laughs> it's almost like Star Wars put together this really bad like holiday musical kind of thing. Thankfully, that never really happened. Yeah, right. So anyway, this video game is called <laughs> Space Wars, and it's got it's got spaceships flying around, shooting at each other. It was really an 80s-looking thing, but this was much earlier on, and the program became what we call today like open source, where it was you know you could just share the programming with someone else, and they could yeah, easily yeah. recreate it. And so there were all kinds of improvements being done, and it was the first game that somebody said, you know what? We need a better control. And so they made a joystick out of spare telephone parts. Really? Yes. The first joystick. The first joystick. Nice. That was the first screen video game. Then a little later on comes this guy named Ralph Baer. Okay. He was a German guy who had moved to the U.S. before World War II, had gotten involved with World War II, was a very military guy. But he saw, while he was working with these computers, he saw the potential of combining computers and television games because back then nobody had a computer, but there were 40 million people who had TVs. And so he thought, I can set up these games on a television set at the house. So this was the first time that somebody said, let's make TV an active participating sport. That's a pioneering thought. Yeah. So he develops this thing for Magnavox called the Odyssey. And it's the first gaming console. Had like seven games with it. And one of them was essentially a Pong game. Okay. So the first Odyssey Magnavox was released in September of 1972. Yes. So at this point, there are a couple of guys, Ted Dabney and Nolan Bushnell, working at this electronics place called Apex. Okay. They find a common love for this game called Go, which is a, not an electronic game. It's a game from like 2,500 years ago. It's the oldest game that's still being played. But this interest in gaming and in electronics leads them to form the company Atari. The Atari? The Atari. So Atari was kind of this answer to the fact that all of the games up to this point had had come from military guys. You know, you got nuclear physicists making bombs and, and other military, Ralph Bayer's military guy making these war games. They are kind of the hippie response 
where Bushnell basically says, if you want to come in in your T-shirt and your flip-flops and you want to smoke dope and you want to do whatever, I don't care. Get your project done. I don't care what you do with the rest of your life. So Atari became like this very hedonistic sex, drugs, and rock and roll place to work. And so Nolan Bushnell gets one of these guys, gets an engineer from Apex that he and Dabney had worked with and said, hey, I want to, I want to do a game. I've got this contract with GE. He didn't have a contract with GE. Okay. He goes, it's just kind of a training thing to see if you know you're going to be up to working with us. He totally knew the guy was the best thing that they could get, but it was just this challenge for him. Right. So this guy he's hitting up is named Al Alcorn, right? Okay. Okay. And he says, what I want is the game that's kind of like ping pong. Well, I mean, they'd already seen the Magnavox Odyssey. They He knew exactly what he wanted here. But Al Alcorn programmed the first Pong game. When he brought it to Bushnell, Bushnell's like, ah, it's okay. That's pretty good. Can you put any sound with it? And he's like, man, I, I got other things going on. I can't, you know, figure that part of it. And he says, like, in, in less than a day, he figured out how to make sounds with the chips already involved in it said it took him no time at all so he invented the complete game of pong within just like three or four days wow they take that and make a stand-up video game out of it and that is the birth of the stand-up video game pong that's the first one yes just a little side note. Yeah. In the early 90s, I'd say this is 93, I went to St. Louis with a friend of mine, Craig Parrish, friend yeah. of the show, friend of mine. And in St. Louis, by the arch, within walking distance of the arch, they have the Video Game Hall of Fame. And you could play Pong along with everything else under the sun. Uh-huh. And you talk about having fun. I mean, we were, our eyeballs fell out when we walked in that place. Oh, my gosh. It was fantastic. Amazing. It was fantastic. Do you remember playing Pong as a kid? can't say I remember playing Pong. Yeah, we had a gaming we had a gaming console. We actually had a Bally, so I'm not even sure what we what the game was we had, but it had the twist knob kind of controls like the original Pong had. That was awesome. I wish we could find something that had those twist knobs again. I mean, I spent a lot of time at arcades, that's for sure. Well, needless to say, Al Alcorn got the job at Atari. Okay. Right. And yep. he becomes kind of one of the higher ups there. And at some point, this guy comes in and says, I read your ad that says, I want to have fun and make money, so I, I'd like to come work here. <laughs> and, and the girl at the reception desk is like, okay, well, you know, I need you to come. He's like, no, I'm not leaving until you give me a job. And she's like, um, okay. And so she calls Al Alcorn on the phone and says, I've got this guy up here. Uh, he's like in a t-shirt and flip-flops, looks really like a hippie. Um, he said he's not going to leave till we give him a job. What do you want to do? And Alcorn says, send him on back. Let me talk to him. So the guy comes in, disheveled hair. Al Alcorn asks him, he's like, where'd you go to school? He goes, I went to Reed. He's like, uh, is that a is electronic school? He's like, no, it's a literary school. He says, okay. <laughs> Well, what was your degree? And he goes, oh, I didn't graduate. And he's like, all right. He goes, but I really love technology. I really have a passion for it. And Al says, listen, kid, you look like you got potential. I may give you a job. What's your name? And the kid goes, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. And Al hired him. And so that was Steve Jobs' first job as a... Atari employee. That is freaking amazing. Yeah. 
I, I love the crap that you find as you go through this stuff. Isn't it amazing? I'm glad he figured out that this guy had something. Yeah. I mean, you yeah, talk about he having had a something. Fire. He had a passion. He had a fire. He also had B.O. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, they, the people at Atari had a hard time working with Steve Jobs because he had kind of this attitude and attitude problem, and he also smelled terrible. He believed <laughs> he believed at the time that if you ate only fruit, that you wouldn't have body odor. Turns out that's not true. <laughs> I wonder if he ate like you know cherry, then strawberry, then orange, then pretzel, then apple, then pear, then banana. I think he was really just fond of the apple. Uh, oh, but I'm ching. Uh, right. Damn. <laughs> Bang zoom. <laughs> okay, so one of the games that Atari develops that is very similar to Pong, but one that you can play yourself and with that dial knob uh -huh. thing is a game where you have the paddle, you send the ball up, and it breaks the blocks. You know what I'm talking about? Is this game called Breakout? Yes, it is. It is called Breakout. Okay. Now, the game Breakout inspired a Japanese engineer to create his own game. Okay. Now, Japan, after World War II, had seen the potential of electronic technology, and it used it as the focus in rebuilding the country. But remember that bit from Back to the Future 3? Now, one of the circuit fails has made in Japan. What do you mean, Doc? All the best stuff is made in Japan. Unbelievable. That encompasses the difference between 1955 and 1985, right? Yeah. They they went from being someone that was not respected to the pinnacle yep. best you can get stuff. So one of the engineers in Japan who is fascinated by this game Breakout is a guy named Tamihiro Nishikado. And he comes up with this idea of instead of throwing a ball up we're gonna shoot up and he's like okay now i just have to come up with stuff to shoot he thinks tanks now that look good planes looks too hard how about people people looks good that's awesome yeah let's, but let's shoot people but the company he's working for is like no we're not going to have a game where you're killing people uh -huh. and he was like well what about what about droids what if they were droids because in 1978 the biggest thing in the world is Star Wars! Yes. Star Wars. And they said, no, but we are willing to consider spaceships. Okay. And so he starts thinking about spaceships. He loved War of the Worlds when he was a kid. And so his idea of a spaceship is something that looks kind of like a spider or right. a crab or something like that. And so he creates this game where you have a spaceship firing on invading spaceships that look like crabs and spiders, and he names the game... Space Invaders. Got it. I believe we're up to 1978. 1978. 1978. So we've hit two landmarks so far. Okay. We've got Pong. Yes. Which leads to Space Invaders. Landmark. Yes. And Space Invaders becomes so popular that markets in Japan start, they stop buying food and they start buying arcade games because they realize they can make more money with arcade games than they can selling food. Wow. Japan has like only second time in its history has to start producing 100 yen coins again because that's what they use instead of quarters over there because so many of them are being fed into the belly of space invaders. As a matter of fact, all of the gaming arcade, they call like invader 
houses or something like wow. that. Wow. I, I remember playing Space Invaders at the time and loving it, but yet being frustrated because you can only shoot one missile at a time, like right. one shot at a time. And you if you miss, you're waiting to reload. Yeah, which was a pain. It was a pain. I... I'm I am young enough that I probably played Galaga as soon as I played Space Invaders or Galaxian or anything like that. Right. And I can remember for the non-Galaga games going, what the heck? <laughs> what what? I can fire one shot at a time. Yeah. But since nobody knew what they were missing at that point, this one shot at a time was gangbusters both in Japan and in the US. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. It's it's the t-shirt that James Halliday. It's the t-shirt that James Halliday wore, right? That's right. Ready player one. Boom. So just real quick on Space Invaders. Yes. Again, it's they're using the electronics to make the sounds, but he deliberately has it sound like a heartbeat. Remember the sound of Space Invaders? It's four it's like four notes. Yeah. Four notes. Absolutely. But just like Jaws, 1975, it got it, faster. as it got more intense, the heartbeat sped up. And it would stress you out. Bum, 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 yep. Bum. Yep. Space Invaders was one of the three arcade games we had in my church. Nice. Okay. So we've hit landmark number one, Pong. We've hit landmark number two, Space Invaders. Landmark number three. A guy named Toro Iwatani notices that in all of these arcades in Japan, there's dudes and more dudes and smelly dudes. <laughs> it's like dark and stinky in all of these arcades. Uh -huh. Fortunately, they love Space Invaders enough to keep on going despite this dark, stinky place. Right. But the women are like, no, thank you. Right. So he thinks, how do I develop a game for women? Uh-huh. And... As it turns out, women actually probably have better small muscle control than men do. Yes. But they weren't interested in the shoot 'em up games. He's like, okay, what appeals to women? And in Japan, apparently all women, no matter what, get dessert after the meal. That's just a thing, I guess. Okay. At least it was back in the 70s. I, I, I have no, no further knowledge on Japanese culture beyond that. Are you trying to tell me that women like to eat? Women like to eat. And so that became his keyword, eat. 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 And so he's thinking about a game. He's thinking about eat. He's like, I'm hungry. Let's go get some pizza. They go to the pizzeria there in Japan. They're sitting down, talking about eating, talking about the game. Somebody takes a slice out of the pizza as it's delivered. He looks down and sees the pizza with one slice missing and says, I've got it. That's we'll have a character that looks like this that runs around eating. That sounds like a lot of fun to play. It, it does. Just run around and eat. And and that idea, just at that moment, was the first time that the idea of having a hero in a video game had ever come about. Okay. And so he develops the character that he would go on to call Puckman. What does Puckman mean? Well, he looks like a puck. Okay. And so we'll call him Puckman, right? Okay. We've got the ghost chasing him around. No need to worry about that. We're going to call him Puck Man. 
except that he's familiar enough with English to realize, wait a minute, when this goes over to North America, a P is real easy to change into an F. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Good for him. And so he's like, wait a minute, maybe I can head this off at the pass. Let's, instead of calling it Puckman, call it Pac-Man. Pac-Man. 1980. Yep. And so we've reached landmark game number three, Pac-Man. So the games that we're about to talk about were all in some way inspired by these landmark games. Yes. The best-selling arcade games of all time. Number 10, Outrun. It's a car game. Okay. Number nine. Gal- oh, yeah. Outrun. I remember Outrun. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Number nine, Galaxian. Number eight, Centipede. Number seven, Defender. Number six, Asteroids. Number five, Ms. Pac-Man. Number four, Donkey Kong. Number three, Street Fighter Two. Number two, Space Invaders. Yes. Number one, Pac-Man. So it's fascinating. All of those games were pre-1982, except Outrun and Street, Street Fighter. Fighter. That's right. And Street Fighter, most would say, is responsible for the resurgence of the video game in the late 80s, early 90s. There you go. All right, that will do it for the history leading up to the games of 1981. Join us next week for our next episode. It's going to be so much fun. We are going to have a great time. Get your quarters ready. We got unlimited credits. Come back next week. You might just get an extra life. (laughs) 